You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, Pastor Josh preaches through the first half of Romans chapter 15 while continuing to move forward in our series through this book. In this passage, Paul talks about following the example of Christ as we walk with other believers. We pray that the Holy Spirit would give us wisdom and insight as we hear from God's Word. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you open to Romans 15? That will be our text for today. We have many verses to go, uh, 13 in fact, and, and uh, I think a, a shorter time than we would all enjoy uh, to get there. So with that being said, this is a special day in the life of Broadmoor Baptist Church. This is Senior Recognition Sunday. We will do this in just a moment, but just so we can right now, if you are a graduating senior, would you stand? this morning. Church family, let's give them a hand clap of praise. We are so thankful for each and every one. Nah, 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 nah. We are so thankful for each and every one of you. We can't wait to celebrate you at the end of this service today, but I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I cannot wait to see what the Lord is going to do in and through your life in the years to come. We are so thankful for you. You may be seated now that you're fully embarrassed. It is going to be a fantastic day and a fantastic ending to our, our time of worship today. Uh, as we dive into this text, we are getting nearer to the end of this absolutely awesome letter. And in reality, the instruction of this book will end with, with our sermon today. And there'll be some more things that we look towards the end of chapter 15 and on into 16. But, but as we, we look to this, there, there could be a lot of different approaches to, to this section of scripture uh, or a lot of different names to sermons that we could give it. Uh, I think as I look through this and, and have my family in view of, of this text and, and preparing for it this week, I think the best way to look at this sermon uh, in the title would be, it's time for everybody to get in the get along shirt. Anybody ever grow up with a get along shirt? A- anybody? No, you, maybe, maybe you've heard of it. It's where your people can't get along, so you get a shirt big enough for the both of them to get in and they're going to have to get right before they get out. You, you had never done that. Enjoy the bratty parenting method. We'll, we'll sell books. It's going to be great. So, so we, we can all understand this idea that there comes a point where niceties are over. There comes a point where uh, probably even rational conversation has come to, to an end. And now it's, it's time, hey, we just need to get along. Because what is at stake is far greater than the conversation that we're having to go back and forth with. And that's where we are at the end of this letter. Paul, it's, it's almost you can feel the weight of Paul ending this letter. It's almost as if I have poured myself out over these pages that are being read to you. I've told you about the the theology. I've told you about humanity and the depth of our depravity. I've told you about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. I've told you about the joy that the Jews have had for such a long time and the grace that's been extended to the Gentiles. I've told you all those things, but now it's time to live these things out because something greater is at stake and it's the glory of God. And so as we look today, there is a bit of this feeling, this feeling of of unresolved tension, but hopeful anticipation. 
And so as we get ready to dive into Romans 15, I want to remind us of somewhere that we've already been in Romans 12. So if you're in 15, maybe you need to flip back one page and go to Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read the first two verses to us again. This is one of those verses that you may have memorized. This is one of those Bible drill verses, but I'm going to read it to us this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what his good and acceptable and perfect will And so when we we get to chapter 12, so all those things I talked about in the life of Paul in this letter is building up to these two verses. And so it's this idea, because we are Christ's, because we belong to him, we, we are owned by him, because that's true, then we are to live as living sacrifice. We are, we are to live sacrificially to all of those that God has trusted to us. And then in the remaining verses and chapters of this book, when we get into to the rest of 12 and then into 13 and into 14, Paul starts with a very broad view. This is what that living sacrificially is going to look like. This is what it's going to look like in, in civil government. This is what it's going to look like in, in life. This, the, the general characteristics of a Christian. And then it begins to narrow the scope. This is the way it's going to look like when you engage non-believers. This is the way it's going to look like when you engage believers at a distance. And then the scope gets even more narrow and more specific. In all of 14, in this part of 15, it is how do we get along with one another? Not, not just at a distance, not just when we are working, not just when we are casually doing life together, but for the sake of Christ and the mission he's trusted to us, how do we get along? Now, as, as we see this, when, when hopefully we, when we jump in, if this is rightly preached and rightly understood, this text, and, and, and really all of Scripture, it should give us a much smaller view of ourselves and a much greater view of God. So as Paul narrows the scope, we have this idea that, oh no, what I thought about myself is not exactly true in the sense that I am more important than I really am. That I sit on the throne in heaven, I don't. And then when we dive in a little bit further, we realize that it is Christ who is supremely important for he is the one who sits on the throne. And last week, we got into the tension of, of, of weaker and stronger, really the last two weeks. And, and remember what Paul is, is saying here in these um, characterizations. And when he talks about the strong brother or sister, it's those who have faith in Christ alone for their, for their salvation. And then you would have the weaker brothers and, and sisters, and those would be the ones who would say, I do believe in Christ for salvation, but I also like elements of religion or religiosity to make me feel better about what I do and what I have in Christ. So when we come to this today, we want to see that no matter where you land, either on the stronger side or the weaker side, you are both, we are both called to the mission at hand. So let's jump in Romans 15, verse 1. What does it look like to be a living sacrifice, to live sacrificially with our brothers and sisters for the sake of the gospel? 
Romans 15.1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So we, we have the difference in the Jews and the Gentiles. We, we just talked about that. But Paul doesn't stop at just making the distinction between weaker and stronger brothers and sisters, but he takes it a step further and tells us how we are to truly get along for, with one another for the sake of gospel work. So let, let's paint a scenario, if we will. If you find yourself in the stronger camp, meaning that religion is important to you, but you understand that your worth is found in nothing other than Jesus Christ, okay? So, so that would be that camp, that, that you feel freedoms to do things that maybe others don't do. There, there's not that tension of conviction that maybe others would share. You would say you are free in Christ. So that would put you in the stronger camp. Here's what, what potentially could happen. If you're, if you're in that strong camp and you're redeemed heart, but you still have a ways to go in sanctification, potentially as we look to the weak, we can say, hey, look, guys, can, can't you just understand, can't you understand your freedom in Christ? Can't you understand our freedom in Christ? But really what we're saying is, can't you understand my freedom in Christ? There's that tension that lives there. Or maybe, maybe it's, it's in the arrogance and the elitist attitude. You would never say those things, but deep down in your heart and in the back of your mind, you judge people without ever getting to know them. And you call it freedom. God, God's word calls us, Paul tells us in this letter, that can't be the case for the believer. This is not how the strong are to view or to interact with the weaker brothers and sisters. So Paul says that the strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. So here's the rule of thumb. The strong have an obligation to bear with the weak. Bear doesn't mean just to deal with or to put up with. Bear means to take up and carry alongside. So, so this is the general rule, okay, at all times. So this is applicable at all times in the service of kingdom ministry. Those who are stronger in their faith have an obligation from God because we have it from the apostle's mouth in this letter in our Bible that would say, we have an obligation as strong in our faith to come and bear with, to, to pick up and carry the failings of our weaker brother and sister. Not judgmentally, go back to chapter 14. Not condescendingly, but joyfully. Because we understand that we are not enemies to one another, and this isn't a competition with our brothers and sisters in Christ. At the end of the day, we do get a crown, but it ain't your crown to keep. By God's glory, we lay it down at the feet of Christ when we see him face to face. Bear doesn't mean to put up with. It means to take up and to carry. So in the gospel work, we are called to work together. The strong called to bear with the weak. Just in case we need clarification, Paul ends that sentence with this phrase, and not to please ourselves. Because honestly, at the core of our frustration with our weaker brother and sister isn't a sadness because we truly believe they're missing out on the beauty of Christ. But it's our frustration that comes from their weakness is potentially causing me to miss out on something that I really like to do or enjoy. So Paul gives a subtle reminder. 
your obligation from God, the reason you receive freedom from Christ is not to indulge in selfish pleasures guilt-free. The reason you have been set free, the obligation from God is you are now free to bear with your weaker brothers and sisters and their failings and their walk with him that they may walk with him as well. Paul goes on to say, look at verse two, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So this is a paradigm shift that if and when it happens, the world's going to take notice. We said last week that if, and we'll look at it again today to help us remind us, how will the world know we belong to Christ? Is it our freedoms? Is it our dogmas? How about, how about our religious fervor? No. All of those are good. Hear me out. I, I don't want to belittle freedoms or, or, or creedal statements or, or just conviction, those, those dogmas or religious hard work. I'm not belittling those things. But that's not what Jesus said that the world would identify us to him by. He said, John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So when Paul says back in verse two, let each of us please his neighbor for good and build him up, hearing this could make potentially make us bristle up a little bit. Instead of making our hearts leap with delight because of the calling of Christ our King, we call ourselves Christians for, for those who do. We desire, one of our greatest, deepest desires, we wake up in the morning and say, God, I want to I be like my Christ. I want to be Christ-like. Well, living this way is the most Christ-like thing that we can do. Loving others, especially when it's hard, even more so when they're difficult to love. That is the most Christ-like thing we can do to show the world we belong to him. You may be sitting here thinking, Josh, are you sure? Can't I just pledge to show up more often? Can't I just give a little bit more money every Sunday and God call it good? It's not how it works. Just think about this, okay? How did Christ love you? Hmm. How does Christ still love you today? Just a few questions to consider. Do you always do everything correctly? Do you always do everything with the best of intentions? Do you obey the first time, every time? Ooh. Do you have stubborn tendencies or an arrogant posture from time to time? These aren't questions that I wrote for you. These are questions that are true of me. And God still loves me. Christ still loves me. And Christ still loves you, born-again person. Because when we receive Christ's love, we receive it fully. It is not based on our obedience or our try harder or our be better. And so when we understand the way that Christ has loved us, that is the exact same way that we are to go and engage and love the world. Jesus still loves us even in spite of us. Of course he does. And in that continuous love of Christ to us, 
And that never-changing love to us, what does it do to you? It builds you up. It makes you stronger in your faith every day. That goes back to Paul's point. Those who are strong in their faith are strong because of Christ alone, because of his love leveraged on them. And so for us, think about it. What Paul is saying is the most Christ-like thing we can do is to love brothers and sisters in the faith in the same exact way that we have been loved by Christ. But Josh, what if they're difficult, like Christ? What if I don't like to be around them? What if they look different than me? What if they act different than me? Love them like Christ loved you. You are difficult. So I've heard. I am difficult. We all don't get along to get along. Yet Christ and his redeeming love has united us as one. This is the way the world will know we belong to him. But enough about us, and let's, let's move, as Paul is going to move us, to an example, the greatest example. Look at verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul's quoting here from Psalm 69, 9. The thought is this. There are times, truly, and, and, I, and I think it could be a vast reason as to why. But there are times that we begin to think that this type of service to our brothers and sisters, this type of love is beyond us. And Paul brings us back and says, hey, Jesus is the king. And he is our example in all things. And he was not beyond serving. Matter of fact, it's exactly what he did and how he lived. Now, I want you to, to, if you have a ribbon in your Bible, I want you to keep it there in Romans chapter 15. And then I want you to go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. This is another one of those that if, if you were into memorizing or, or writing down or, or highlighting or bookmarking, this is one of those passages you want to bookmark. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> I'm going to read it quickly. But this is known as the hymn of Christ. This is our standard. This, this, this is our example when it comes to loving, particularly those in the household of faith. Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord And of one mind, verse 3, listen closely. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also at the interest of others. So have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, in heaven 
uh, so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, our Father. So, so this is the example that Paul speaks about. Paul writes this letter to another group of believers. But the premise is still true across all of his teaching. That brings us to verse 4 of Romans 15. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul says that the reason that he quotes Psalm 69, and that as we get to the end of today's section, he's going to quote more Old Testament text, is because those texts instruct us, meaning it teaches us things we didn't know, and it guides us in the things that we hold to be true. That's what God's Word does. And so Paul says, I bring this up for your benefit. I'm not making this up. I am telling you right now, God is doing a work in your life, and you need to trust the process. <clears throat> he says that it, is, it is through this, that through this instruction, through this teaching and guiding, through the endurance of our faith, we have hope. It is a we, a plural. All of us grouped together, believers in Christ, this way of service, the stronger in the faith, bearing with the failings of the weak and not pleasing ourselves, this way of life is hard. Not only is it hard, listen church, I'm telling you, it is impossible without God's power and God's blessing. So listen to the prayer that Paul prays in verse five and six. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus. So Paul prays that God, and then he names two characteristics that are incredibly helpful to us, that are true about God. He says the God of endurance and the God of encouragement. What should that tell you if those are some of the attributes he mentions about the process it is going to be for us just to get along? Because this is going to be hard work, but it is gospel work. More to that in just a second. He prays that God would grant or God would give you the power to live in such harmony with one another in the same way that Christ lived. For when that happens, for when we live this way, together we will, with one voice, glorify God, our Father. So, a lot of times we will look at church life and say the hardest part about ministry is just showing up. I don't believe that that's true. I do believe it is going to be impossible to do ministry if you don't show up. But your job... Listen, listen, this is, and, and I, I look around the room and I see that we have more people today than we've had in an awful long time and we've been gaining people every single week. This is good stuff. So let me encourage you with this and challenge you a little bit. The goal for you today is not just to walk in the door, find a seat, hear some songs, listen to a sermon and walk back out. Your goal today and every time you gather with God's people is to join hearts with one another and declare with one voice God's glory. 
That, that's what we are called to do. But a lot of times we come in and we believe that our gathering is more about receiving. And what I'm telling you God's word teaches is the total opposite. Your gathering is about giving. It's about you coming together, us coming together, joining arms, putting our differences and our preferences aside for the sake of the gospel and God's glory to be known. We're going to see this even more. I'm telling you, this is good stuff. God's glory is what this tells us. God's glory is at stake in our living this way. But with that being true, look at verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So Paul makes this same argument again, but in one sentence. So it must be really, really important. And now we move to maybe the second section of this this teaching, if you will. We get into verse eight and following. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. All right, so, so here in this context, circumcised would be the Jewish people. Christ came to save the Jews, and what we'll see in, in verse 9, and also the Gentiles. He came to save sinners. That, that's why Christ came, which all of us fall into that category. So he goes on, verse 9, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then we get into this, this list. It is going to be four different Old Testament quotations, but they're all going to speak to the same thing. Let's work through those. The end of verse 9, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. So again, Paul is quoting different yet similar Old Testament verses. Here are those verses if if you just want to go back and study them. Psalm 1849, Deuteronomy 32.43, Psalm 117.1, and then at the end, Isaiah 11.10. But to say this, to bring them all, Jews and Gentiles, to this point and give them a blessing. But before we get to the blessing, before we get to the blessing, not just for the Jew, but also for the Gentile, that has been foretold from the beginning. There's tension that they feel, and I think we need to build it just a little bit this morning. As you can imagine, this church found itself, that's the reason for the letter, in a pretty hopeless situation. Not because of the outside oppression, and they had a lot of that, but that wasn't why they felt hopeless. Their hopelessness came from disunity from within. That's exactly how the enemy destroys the church of God, or at least tries to. It will never be from the outside. The gates of hell cannot withstand what God is doing. The churches that falter usually falter not because outside oppression, 
but because they can't get along on the inside. They can't put preferences aside. They can't put their strongest of desires aside for the sake of unity and the sake of the mission. They were hopeless because God's people, people who loved God, but could not find it in themselves to love one another. They couldn't put their, 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 their desires aside to join arms and join Jesus on his mission. Therefore, God was not glorified, and therefore their communities never received good. So Paul prays this powerful blessing over them. Look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. All right, so the only one that can heal what's broken in us is God. That's why Paul prays to him. So he doesn't end the section by saying, I beg you to get along. What he says instead is, God, I am begging you to heal what's broken inside of them. We need to understand this in the same way that we can't do the mission outside of God's blessing, we can't heal what's broken inside of us without God's healing. So when we come, Paul doesn't just pray for healing of what is broken, he asks God to, to fill with all joy, to give peace and believing in your walk with Christ. And the reason being so that you will have all, all hope and that it may abound. So as we move to this time of, of decision and invitation, I, I wanna challenge you in the same way that I feel challenged by this text, okay? The enemy wants us to believe that we don't need one another. The day that we live in, the, the, the time and space that we exist is incredibly individualized. And I know, I know it may sound even strange for me to be preaching this in a big room filled with a lot of people. And you say, Josh, no, we're gathered. Correct, we are. But my question to you is how well do you know the people that you are gathered with? How well do they know you? We say all the time that we want Broadmoor to be a place that you can know and be known. That is not just a catchphrase. We believe that that is what God calls us to be and do as a church. Because the enemy doesn't want us to think that that's true. He wants us to think that we can do this all in of ourselves. The thought that prevails when we do ministry alone or church alone or a walk with Christ alone sounds something like this. Those people aren't like me. They don't do it the way I like it. They don't do it the way it's always been done, so the new stuff can't be good. Oh, they're so exhausting to be around. I don't need them. I don't need anyone. Jesus, I love you, and I'm just going to do it on my own. Does that sound familiar? I pray it's not, but I believe it is. And I know you would never voice those things, but deep on the inside, you would say, I don't need the gathering together of saints to know and be known. I can do it on my own. And I'm telling you, gathering for church is not just good for ticking a box of your weekly attendance. You need this in your spiritual walk with Christ. We need one another. 
Because when we think that we can do it on our own and we don't engage in relationships to know and be known, that's exactly where we begin to lose the joy, peace, and hope that the scriptures promise. It is very possible and probably incredibly probable that even across this room, if you have never engaged in that type of relationship, if you're not part of a group that knows you and you know them, I would say that you're probably not filled with incredible joy, peace, and hope that the Lord would have. That you come because it's just what you do. You come because you don't want people to look down on you for not being a part of a church. Or you're coming because you believe that you are just looking for that joy, peace, and abounding hope and hoping that something will be thrown and something will stick. And what I'm telling you is you're going to find that in the group. You're going to find that as we do life together and walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, some of the reasons that deter us, we get caught up in in my relationship with Christ as if it were singular, at the expense of others. Again, we begin to major on minor things, and we begin to minor on major things, and nobody is close enough to tell us the difference. We search for our worth and our works. Instead of other brothers and sisters reminding us of our place in the gospel narrative, reminding us that it is Christ alone that we find our strength in, because we're doing it alone, we begin to buy into our own narrative, and we feel badly about the things that we've done, and so we try to do more and be better, and then we get caught in this legalistic cycle, but nobody's around us to tell us any different. We become judgmental, arrogant, and elitist. Church, this cannot be who we are. This cannot be what we do. And again, because I know I need to hear things many times before it sticks in my brain. The world that Christ came to save, John 3, will not know that we are his by our works, by our freedoms, or by our religion. They will know that we belong to Christ by the way in which we love and treat one another. Our works, freedoms, and religion are important. But listen to me right now. They are a non-starter. They are a non-starter for those that we are trying to engage with the hope of the gospel if we don't love one another. You need more encouragement from that without preaching a whole other sermon? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 has very little to do with wedding days and has incredibly much to do with gospel living. You can preach incredible sermons, but if you have not love, you have nothing. You can say to the mountain, go throw itself into the sea, and it doesn't, you have nothing. You can be so selfless that you surrender your body to the flames, and you do so, but if you have no love, you have done nothing. I'm not telling us, I'm not calling us to action to say, let's try harder and be better before we learn to love one another. I believe truly in my heart of hearts, I believe with all that I am, that's the reason that the world right now sees God's people as white noise. Because we will preach a big gospel, but we never live it out. We've gotta be people who know what the gospel says. We need it here, but we need it to move from here to here and change everything about all of this. And so for today, church, I am begging you with all that I am, 
It's time to put our petty differences aside, join arms with one another, and advance the kingdom for the glory of God. That is the call in our life, and I'm telling you, you're not going to be able to do that without true accountability in your life, where you can know and be known by one another. As we get nearer to the end of this awesome letter, may we not resolve it in our heart to say, you know what, I heard a great sermon today, I'm going to go out and not sin. (laughs) Good luck. But may we resolve in ourselves to love and serve one another in the same exact way that Christ serves and loves us for God's glory and the good of the world. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and we thank you for today. I thank you for the beauty of this letter. I thank you for the encouragement that it has given to us and the challenge that it gives to us each and every week or each and every time we open it. Lord, I can't help but be overwhelmed as I, I, week in and week out, have the best view in this room. To look out and see the beauty of your creation that you have brought into this place. People from all walks of life. People, people, people from every, every nation, tribe, and tongue are here, here on this campus, in this room. And we can gather together for one hour, but God, I pray that you would put it in our hearts that we may live with one another as we advance the kingdom. That we would devote ourselves to knowing our brothers and sisters and them knowing us. For your glory's sake, for your name's sake. Yes, God, send us out and make us bold with gospel proclamation. But God, I pray that our hearts are right with you and right with one another before we begin to proclaim this good story. For if it is not, if we embark to engage this this calling without love, we have nothing. So we ask God right now that whatever you need to do, you would. Break our hearts for the things that need to be broken. Heal our hearts in the places that need to be healed. Move us to be resolved to love one another as we love you. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray and we now stand. Church, would you stand with me?